Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Joel Gascoigne, the co-founder and CEO at Buffer, the social media management tool for small businesses. That product now has over 75,000 paying customers. The company has 70 employees and they're bringing in over $1.3 million in revenue each month. Perhaps what I like most about Joel and how he got Buffer off the ground in the early days though is that he was incredibly systematic and disciplined with how he validated the idea for the product in the first place. The very first thing Joel did was build a super simple landing page with nothing more than a description of the product with a call to action button that people would have to click on in order to sign up. But instead of taking these early visitors to the actual product and bringing them through onboarding, that product didn't actually exist yet. He didn't want to spend the time building something that he wasn't sure people would want and pay for. So instead of taking people to the product, that landing page directed people to another landing page where they could enter their email address for early access when Buffer did launch. After about a month of promoting this landing page to his audience on Twitter and through Hacker News, Joel had about 120 signups and the rest is history. He continued working on Buffer as a side project for the next month or so, brought on his first round of paying customers, and within another six months, Buffer climbed up to around 100,000 users, most of which were on the free plan, but many of whom would later upgrade to paid plans. In this episode, Joel and I are talking about the exact step-by-step process he used to validate the idea for Buffer and the conversations he had with those early subscribers and customers that helped him build a scalable model. We dig into the biggest growth levers the company has used over the years, including a glimpse into their content marketing process that's radically transparent and shares both the ups and downs of the business. We're hearing about Joel's philosophy on finding a business partner, making early hires, working remotely and seriously, so much more. You're going to love this episode. And as always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Joel Gascoigne. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And uh, I've been starting off all these interviews lately uh, with the same question. So I want to get your take on it as well. What book are you reading right now or what's been your favorite recently? Hmm. That's a really good question. My favorite recently uh, was probably Raising the Bar by uh, Gary Erickson, who's the founder of Cliff Bar. Um, and it's about his journey and uh, Cliff Bar and, and the journey of that company and things. So, yeah, that's probably the most recent one that I really, really enjoyed and took a lot from for inspiration, like for Buffer and things like that. Yeah. I love question. that. Very punny title, too. Did you, yeah. um, does anything jump out in particular as like a key takeaway or, you know, maybe a reason why someone listening today should pick up the book? Yeah. Um, they, I think they're one of the few companies out there that I think genuinely, um, with all their actions and everything, really live by kind of how, is we, how can we as a company uh, do good like while we create a company. Um, so they have this concept of, uh, well, it's kind of like that idea that some other companies have of like multiple bottom lines um, mm-hmm. uh, where essentially they talk about 
the financial bottom line is one thing for them. Um, but they, they're a unique company in that uh, one part of the book, he talks about how basically their uh, finance leader, their like, VP of finance, literally has to report on like not only on their financial performance, but also on their performance in terms of what like environmentally um, for the team, like how are they doing for the communities they're in, how are they giving back. Um, so, and it kind of like gets to that idea of like, uh, you know, a shareholder value has a very specific definition in kind of U.S. corporate like business and things. Um, but I think with Cliff Bar, with Gary as kind of like the sole owner, um, he sees it a bit differently. So he says like, you know, I want like for the time I'm putting in and for, you know, investors, if they're putting money in, like it's not just a financial return that he's interested in. He's also interested in different types of return, like along those different lines of those, those multiple bottom lines. Um, that's one of the key things for me that, that stood out from that. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's sort of about, you know, business can exist to do good if you make it important within your organization. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So Joel, we've got a lot of marketers and entrepreneurs listening here today, and many of them I would imagine are pretty familiar with Buffer. But for those who aren't, could you sort of just describe the product and who it's for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Buffer is a social media management platform for small businesses. Um, so we help small businesses to publish uh, content, publish tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts to all the different uh, social networks and then get analytics on everything that you're sharing um, to, to measure the performance and the ROI. Uh, and then we also have, we're actually in the midst of transforming to be like a multi-product uh, platform. So we have a new product called Buffer Reply, which is much more focused around customer service and uh, community and that side of things. Um, so uh, customers or fans or readers that, you know, for your business that are getting in touch on social media um, by Twitter or Facebook Messenger or like Instagram comments, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can now use Buffer Reply to make sure you're res responding to those uh, customers and in a timely manner and things. Um, so not just a social media marketing platform now, but really like broadly a social media management uh, platform that, that we offer. Um, yeah, so that's what we do. And we have you know a free version and then we have multiple paid plans depending on the size of company and the needs you have. Um, so we really decided to support quite a wide range of, of small businesses. I love that. And I think the buffer reply, I think that's a really smart direction to be traveling in because it's, you know, it's a solution to problems that your current audience already has. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. We're excited to kind of bridge and, and move into that. And, and it also comes from a personal desire that we had as a company um, because we were kind of in this social media marketing space uh, for a long time. And in some ways that product is just kind of this megaphone broadcast tool. Um, and we always felt a bit uncomfortable that we had this product that was just to put, you know, content out there, kind of be like shouting <laughs> um, when we ourselves fundamentally believe that it's just as important that you're responsive to people that you know, react and engage and, and, you know, give you feedback on that, on, on that content you're putting out there. Um, and we always maintained, you know, strive for a very high bar in customer service 
ourselves. Um, and it just got to a point where we felt like it would be great if we have a product ourselves for this that we can make for ourselves the best possible product we would like to have, but also to kind of change that positioning a bit and say all these different aspects of social media are, are equally important. Yeah, I like that. And to get maybe a little bit too meta, it sounds like this may have even started as a side project within the company. Well, it's interesting. That <laughs> one actually was uh, an acquisition that we did. So a little bit different. Ah. Um, but we do have uh, things that started out that way in the company. And Buffer itself was a side project as well. So we can kind of talk about that too. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to dig into. Um, and you know, I've been a Buffer user since the super early days, at some point in 2011. And wow. I remember reading one of my favorite posts of yours, um, idea to paying customers in seven weeks, how we did awesome. it, right? Yeah. And I think that really set the tone for kind of like how you guys have treated content and the relationship with your readers and your customers. And, mm. you know, going back to that post originally, you, you essentially walked through how you launched Buffer as a super simple landing page side project while you're working on another startup. Um, and I would be curious to hear if you can remember back this far, how many people signed up expressing interest when you were sort of just testing the waters with the landing page? I have the number 120 in my head. I think that was around the number. It was not very many, um, but mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's kind of useful for people to know that it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but it's really what you do with those people that, that matters, like how you uh, take care of them and, and respond to them and like talk with them to understand whether you have got, and you know, you have hit upon something that really solves a problem for them. Um, so I think if you get, you know, a hundred signups for something, hundred emails, you don't do anything with them. It, mm. it, it's not going to tell you much about how validated that problem is that you're solving. Um, but if you get a hundred emails and then you email them all like personally, and then you try and get on Skype calls and you have a lot of email back and forth and things like that, uh, then you can learn a lot and you can actually get towards validation for your product and feel confident to, to move ahead. Yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of the core of true customer development too. Do you remember, you know, how people were discovering this landing page at the time? Were they friends and family, people who followed you on Twitter? What did that breakdown look like? Yeah, it was mainly people that followed me on Twitter. Um, I, I had been lucky enough that I, uh, you know, came across Twitter and, and was making use of, of the platform maybe for around a year and a half before I had the idea for Buffer. Um, and I had a previous startup slash side project that I was doing before that. And I was also kind of consistently sharing my progress on that and using Twitter as a way to meet like-minded people and just kind of keep myself accountable and try and push myself to make progress. I was not in a startup hub or anywhere like that. So mm -hmm. I kind of went to Twitter for like that support network. Um, but that allowed me to have about 1,500 followers by the time I launched Buffer. And I think I also got lucky because uh, the product itself, like the target audience was Twitter follow, like was uh, when Buffer first launched, it was only for Twitter. Um, so it just kind of matched up perfectly. So it was initially me tweeting it out and then uh, my followers uh, kind of, you know, going to the landing page and checking it out and things. 
I love that. And I think it really highlights how simple an MVP can be. So yeah. what, what would you say came next after, you know, you've got these 120 people signed up expressing interest in something that helps them share more content on social media, but they're not really sure, I guess, what the product's going to be like, how much it's going to cost, all these things. So what, what came next after you had your little initial email list? Well, the interesting thing was the email list. So there was, there was two stages to this landing page uh, kind of experiment that I did. Um, the first one was purely the landing page, which kind of gave an idea of how the product would work. And so I tried to make a landing page that looked like a product that existed, even though I hadn't built it at all at that point. Um, and so it would kind of like describe the product, have one, two, three, like a step-by-step um, description of how the product works. And then there would be like a sign-up button. Um, so initially, uh, people would get to that page and hopefully understand the product enough to be like, oh, that could be useful for me. And then they'd hit sign up. And then the next page would, would be a page that said, um, sorry, you've caught us too early. The product's not ready yet. Um, here's a box, like kind of put your email here if you want to hear when, like hear updates of when the product's available. Um, so I did it that way instead of just a lot of uh, like coming soon kind of pages, just have the email box right on the landing page. Um, and I think you, my opinion is that you lose that extra bit of validation of someone having to click the sign up button because that kind of shows intent of signing up for that product. Um, mm-hmm. so that's what I initially did. At that point, I didn't really have an idea of people, whether people would pay for it and how much they would pay for it. Um, but it did give me some validation in terms of that they had a desire for that product. Um, and then again, there was the conversations that I had resulting from the people that put their email in, in there. And so the list was building at the same time as the validation building, if that makes sense. Um, because the next stage as well was um, a few weeks after that, um, after I, I kind of felt enough validation for the product, the, the idea itself, the problem it was solving, um, the nature of the product, that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to tweak the landing page a little bit. Um, and I added a step in between the two. So um, I essentially added the pricing page in. So now someone that hitting, hitting that landing page would have to click sign up. And I changed the sign up button to a pricing and plans button. Mm-hmm. It hit that button, go to this pricing page, which had three different pricing, uh, three different options. There was three, $5 a month and $20 a month, I think it was at that point. Um, and then they would have to choose one of those options. And then the next page would be the same one that I had before. They would kind of let them put their email in. Um, so it was kind of like a, a process where that validation increased over time. Um, and the email list was being built of, of these people going through this, these steps. Um, so it wasn't kind of like two separate things. Cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, and so pretty quickly after you started building this list, started to get confident that you know there was a demand for what you wanted to build out in the marketplace, um, you guys climbed up into the hundreds of users and, and got up to, I think, around a point of, say, 500 just a few months after you launched. And I know you, you talked about Twitter, right? Like some people coming from Twitter. Um, I know you published to Hacker News and that sort of gave you a little bit of a spike too. And I'm assuming a lot of word of mouth for a product like this. So 
I guess at what point did you decide, hey, this could really be something big and I should go all in and leave behind my other startup I was working on? Yeah, so what happened was uh, I launched the first version um, with these kind of 100, 120 people on the email list, um, got to the point where I felt there was enough validation. um, And just a note, like it wasn't, you know, overwhelming validation. I had actually had a few people that said, you know, this is never going to work. You really should not waste your time on this. <laughs> so I think you're kind of never going to get fully all the way there, right? And I think the idea is that the, there's there's no such thing as like having certainty. Like the certainty comes when you actually put it out there, and like certainly comes in in dollars, right, or in in, in usage or whatever that metric is for you. And um, so I kind of had that in my head. Uh, felt enough validation to proceed. Um, got the first version out there, very, very minimal, like didn't have a lot of functionality and things, um, but it did have, you know, limitations of different pricing plans and a way to pay, which was very like rudimentary, just, you know, you could basically start, start paying a subscription to me on PayPal. Um, it would just start going into my PayPal, PayPal account but would not actually change anything for them until I manually went into the database and changed it and things. Um, <laughs> but just trying to give a picture of like how kind of minimal and scrappy you can go um, for, the, for the purposes of knowing that like the sooner you get out there, the, the more validated you, 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 the more validation you can have. Um, but yeah, luckily from those first 120 people on the email list um, within a few days of launching I had the first paying customer um and actually I had the first paying customer after one day but it happened to be a uh, like a, a friend of mine so I kind of excluded that one um, and then a couple of days later someone else started paying that I, I really uh, didn't kind of know this person prior to uh, to, to buffer and then over the course of that first month um I remember clearly the total was four customers. Um, they were each paying $5 a month. So it was $20 in total revenue for the first month. Um, and that was, I think, after a month, after a month and a half, that was the point where I started to realize, oh, despite the fact that this product has so much missing that I felt like I should have in place, you know, you kind of always, it's easy to delay shipping mm-hmm. and feel like, oh, I need this, I need this, I need this. I'd managed to kind of force myself to get it out there. Um, there was bugs, there was stuff missing, but at the end of the day, four people were already paying. Um, these four people um, were actively using the product. So I was kind of checking the, the usage. They were using it daily. So they weren't just like started paying and then just dropped off. Um, and then we also had uh, quite a lot of people using the product free. Um, and we started to realize over time that, People would use it free for a while before they would upgrade. Um, essentially, it all came together as being like, I can keep building stuff here, but it would be a little bit of a disservice to um, how much I could make progress on this if I was to shift my focus and have a bit more of a balance on marketing alongside like continuing to improve the product. So there was a point um, about a month or a month and a half after launching that I kind of made that, that that kind of, you know, switch in my head of like, oh, I should balance these things 
uh, more. And I, then I started kind of putting more on Twitter to get traffic and blogging and things like that. Um, and that's when I got connected with uh, Leo, who became my co-founder. Um, and I mentioned this to him, um, just kind of very casual conversation of like, oh, this thing seems to be working and I want to shift the balance of marketing a bit more. And at that point, he just said, well, I could do that. <laughs> um, and he didn't really have any experience as such, but he just like really felt like he could, he could help out and, and do the, those aspects. Um, so that's kind of how we started working together. And that's where really this focus on content marketing came from. And then, you know, we went from a few hundred uh, users and a few, like, you know, a handful of paying customers to over the course of the next five, six months, I think we reached uh, 100,000 users and um, revenue got to around 8K a month, 10K a month, something like that. Wow. Yeah, that's really quick. And, you know, to keep the fast forwarding moving, um, jumping a few years ahead of that, um, you know, you guys are now up to what looks like 60 employees. um, As of today's recording here at the beginning of December, you're doing about 1.3 million in monthly recurring revenue and you've got over 72,000 active customers, it looks like. Um, Yeah, it might even be a little higher than that right now. I'd say we probably have about 75,000 paying customers. The team is right around 70, 69, 70. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and, uh, yeah, we, we're generating solid revenue. We're also profitable as well. So we're doing about 300 to 350 K a month in profit right now. Also. That's beautiful. And, you know, looking over this span of five or six years between, you know, getting your initial really spike in signups to today, are there any moments in particular that stand out or come to mind for when growth, you know, really picked up pace again, or has it been sort of a, a slow and steady climb? Yeah, it's, a, it's, that's a really good, good question. I think, I think it's a balance of both in general. If you look over the course of, of, of the, of the journey, it's been slow and steady. And, um, I think, there's it's an interesting thing I think going on right now where people are starting to realize that that's how SaaS works. Um, you know, you're charging monthly, uh, it builds up over time. And luckily you have these layers of different groups of customers that sign up each month and each month they sign up, they most, a lot of them continue paying after that every month. Um, so you kind of get these new customers and then you get these layers building up. Um, and I think it really does compound and, and grow. Um, so on the one hand, it's definitely been slow and steady. Um, and in a lot of ways, our growth has been fairly linear when you look at the, the, the graph. And we've been look, lucky that I think because it is this curving revenue subscription model, uh, we get a lot of predictability and stability from, from that. Um, so mm-hmm. as far as I can recall, I, I don't think we've had a single month where the revenue was not more than the previous month. It's just been every single month for the whole journey, um, which is, I think, wow. uh, you know, not that usual. Like a lot of other types of companies would not have that kind of predictability, yeah. which I really appreciate. It makes it easier to sleep at night in a lot of ways. <laughs> Having that volume of customers as well makes it easy. And sleep at night. If we lose one of them, it's not a huge deal. Um, but then at the same time, we, there's definitely things I can recall that were like, oh, we did that and it shifted 
the direction um, and, you know, the trajectory. And that was a good thing. Um, and so there's the specific things we did. And then there's also like general approaches uh, we, we did, which I can dive into. And it's interesting because I think a lot about that now where all these numbers are bigger and it's like, how do we, how can we shift things in bigger ways now? I think I really have to step away and look at like bigger kind of strategic decisions that I can make that, that will ho- hopefully adjust the trajectory more um, rather than just kind of keeping on that path that we're on. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of making adjustments, um, improvements, tweaks, uh, one of the things that I've always really admired about your team is that you've done an incredible job of content marketing. And that's, you know, since your first real series of blog posts. So, you know, Thanks, yeah. from from behind the scenes, you know, you share like why Leo left the decision-making process. You know, you guys have publicly analyzed how long people stay at Buffer, um, yeah. openly sharing your business metrics. Like all these things are are so unusual. And I think that that's kind of at the core, that authenticity is what makes your content marketing so effective. So, um, you know, if you're giving advice to someone listening today who knows that they want to use content marketing um, to grow their business, where do you advise that they start? Or, you know, maybe another angle of this question is, what does your content marketing process look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and yeah, I mean, Leo did an incredible job in the early days and then kind of translating that into growing a team around that. And, you know, today we have an awesome marketing team kind of running and and innovating further from that. And Kevin, right now, uh, our director of marketing does a great job on him and his whole team. Um, and so I'd find myself generally over the, over the years, just like looking and being inspired. And, um, I, I've always helped out with just brainstorming things. Um, but on the whole, it's been other people have kind of really done a lot there. Um, I think today there's this blend because you've mentioned things there that are, some of it is for us uh, around the market itself, uh, the customers, social media um, marketing mm-hmm. and, and the product and things. And then for us, another aspect is the, uh, we, we, we have a separate blog that we call the open blog. And that's really just opening up and sharing everything about what's going on in the company. Um, and that's where we, really kind of try and stay true to our value of transparency and sharing as much as we can challenging what, you know, might feel uncomfortable to share. And that's where over time we've shared our revenue numbers, salary like numbers, uh, lots of the internal ways that we do things. Um, and today we definitely have a, a solid process in the marketing team with a, a schedule, a content calendar and, uh, they they really um, do a great job of that, and then we also have a podcast now, uh, which is great. And like, there's a lot of different aspects um, to it. In the early days, um, I think it's worth noting, you know, that people starting out with something shouldn't necessarily just jump to content marketing um, and assume that they should do that. For us, uh, that was something that Leo um, systematically kind of figured out. Uh, you know what what channels work for us and he tried many different channels and a lot of them failed and that's kind of where we came to the marketing that worked well for us and then from there we've like doubled down and so I think that's something it's a good exercise to do is to 
and really open up and think like, what are all the different channels? And then do experiments in a bunch of them, see which works, and then double down on things that are working. And then still periodically go back and try new channels and things and see if those work as well. I love that. I think that's great advice. Well, Joel, I want to be conscious of your time. So I've got one last question for you. Cool. What's been the best investment you feel you've ever made in the context of growing Buffer? And this could be in the form of time, money, um, online tools, product services, or otherwise. Interesting. That's a great question. Um, I think the best investment, um, I'd say it would be around, it, w- it would be the team. Um, to me, that's what comes clearly to mind. And, and also in terms of uh, just thinking about what kind of team do you want to do you want to uh, build up and put around yourself? Um, because I think the team really deeply impacts, uh, you know, your your productivity levels, but beyond that, your like happiness levels and how passionate you feel about um, the about what you're working on. Um, and you know, we definitely wouldn't, but it wouldn't be anything without the whole team um, that's focused. On, on on all the different aspects of things that we do right now um and it and it, you know it goes further as well in terms you mentioned you know leo leaving and is kind of really opening up about um you know the reasons around that things and and i think that's where investing also in uh trying to have very open conversations along the way so we you know we're just at the stage now going on more than seven years that uh, you know there are going to be people that decide it's kind of the end of their buffer journey. Um, and so I think investing in those relationships as, as well um, is really key that you have those conversations. Uh, one of my personal goals with the people that I work with is that I try, you know, I, I, I don't really want to have uh, situations where people come and surprise me with their resignation. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I really want to have those conversations in advance um, for their benefit, for Buffer's benefit, for everyone. And just like, to me, that's kind of like a measure of how uh, close of a, of a connection do we have. Like, and that also is reflective of like how productive we can be together and, and things. Um, so my goal is like to have those kind of conversations. And if someone was, if, if that crossed someone's mind that, you know, if it's not a perfect place for them anymore, they don't feel as fulfilled, then hopefully we can have those conversations. If ultimately they decide that it's time to move on, then I also want to be able to help them as much as possible with like what's like the what's the best possible, you know, next step that you can imagine that's like your step after buffer. And a lot of people a lot of times people have like a stepping stone. They think like, oh well this is where I really want to get to, but I'll have to go here first and things. And that's kind of where for me I'll try and have conversation of like well can i help you get straight there like let's talk about that um Mm -hmm. so yeah i think generally investing in the team in so many different ways is is has been really the key thing i love that i think that's a great answer and it you know to tie this back to where we started it's it's sort of all about the relationships yeah absolutely um yeah and it's again kind of back to why we share so much on our open blog about how we all work. Um, you know, it's how can we have the best relationships within the team? Um, how can we have the most trust within the team to 
work really effectively together? And how can we also build the best relationships with our customers and the most trust there? Because ultimately that's going to be how they stick around and how we, you know, content marketing is a key uh, channel for us and perhaps even bigger is kind of the resulting word of mouth impact from that. We know we get a lot of customers from word of mouth. So better, the better relationship we can have with customers as well. Um, the more they trust us, that's why, you know, we, we, we got hacked and we were very transparent about that the whole way through. Um, anytime we're making big changes or something happens, um, you know, that could impact the service for customers. We want to be, you know, in front of those, of that kind of news and, and being fully open. Um, so that hopefully customers kind of trust us, uh, over the long run. I love that. Well, Joel, thank you for being here. Can you tell everyone listening today where they can go to learn more about you, Buffer, and everything you guys are up to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Joel Gascoigne, um, which might be hard to spell, but I'm sure you can put it in the in the notes. Um, <laughs> and my website, my own website is joel.is uh, and then buffer.com and buffer on Twitter and everywhere else uh, as well. So yeah, definitely say hello and come check us out. And uh, yeah. I love it. Joel, thank you again for joining us. Cool. Thanks so much, Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.